Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. All right, well, at this time, I invite you to open up your Bibles. You can open them to Romans chapter 13. Uh, We're continuing in our series of Romans Road, where we're looking at the part of Romans, chapters 12 and 13, that open up some of the complexities that we find earlier in Romans, and to some of this real practical advice that Paul gives and what it means to walk the Christian road, to be on this journey. Um, We're going to be reading the whole of chapter 13, uh, but we're going to be focusing particularly on verses 8 through 14. Um, But the the first seven verses are important, and I do want to just read them and for you to pay attention to them as we go through them. These are words that we turn towards in the beginning of our Living Hope Moving Forward document as we looked at um, how to respond in the midst of, of COVID. And it's one of the things to keep in mind in the reading of these first seven verses where it addresses the, the governing authorities is that Paul is writing this to the church in Rome, uh, the most powerful empire at the center of it, and one that was quite hostile to the Christian faith, uh, one that would be increasingly hostile after the letter was written as well. Um, and that just brings a, a sense of power to what type of reign they believed that, that king, the kingdom of God that Jesus was bringing in. Uh, but we're going to be focusing again on the, that second part of Romans 8 through 14. Let's read God's word together. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do what is right, but for those who do what is wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good." But if you do what is wrong, be afraid, for the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up into this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. 
And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think of how to gratify these desires of the sinful nature. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, when I was a teenager, uh, snowboarding and skateboarding were like the coolest things to do. And not wanting to be able to fit in, I tried to to take on those things. Um, But being kind of tall and and gangly, having a high center of balance didn't really help me to excel in either of those things. Uh, So I had to kind of rely on wearing the right clothes so at least I could signify to other people that this is something that I'm doing, that I'm, that I'm committed to. Um, this was a bit of a challenge because we had to know the right brands. Um, I wasn't just adapting the, the, the skater style, but you, you had to choose which brand loyalty to have. If you wore the wrong thing, you could be labeled as someone who is just wearing that type of clothing just to, to fit in. Uh, there was a word that they designated for those people. Uh, they called it... Um, they call this a, a poser. It's a quite elegant put-down, really. Um, it accurately summed up what the person was doing. They, they were simply posing. They weren't actually committed to that practice. They would just pose to be able to take on that identity of the other person. Now, I do have a picture from this time. You can see how well I did. Um, I'm this one. Oh, I've, that's a bit, I wish I was the other one. Um, uh, the, I'm wearing the right brand. Often my shirts were like two sizes too big, so I was growing into it, and my hair was, I, I don't know how well I did, but I was committed. You can see there was, there's commitment to have your hair grow that long. What we wear signifies something about us. Uh, we, we see this in, in the formal things. If someone has a role in government or in the court, they have a particular dress code to signify what they are a part of. And even in like the least formal places, like, like the skate park, at, at least when I was uh, a teenager, there, there, were a, there was a dress code, something that signified something about you by what you wore. Paul, in this passage, says that we are to be people who clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is not just a branding choice here. This is not just something about what it means to fit in. He's giving a designation about what type of people they are to be. There's a set of actions that that are expected of the people who are clothed with Christ. The people are not just posing here. They are to be authentic wearers of Christ. Being clothed with Christ is is in opposition to a, a different lifestyle that we see listed earlier on there one that is, includes sexual immorality or things like jealousy. In other words, to clothe yourselves with Christ 
means that you are to act in such a way that shows control over the things that you are passionate about. These, these are things that listed here that have to deal with our passions. We are not wayward people just running to whatever desire we, we, we happen to have at the moment, but we are people who have clothed ourselves with Christ. We have something else that grounds us. We have a love that grounds us and prevents us from things like sexual immorality and jealousy. Now, I just took a class on the topic of the Christian understanding of sexuality. And one of the things that was shared over and over again by the people in there was that they saw a, a disproportionate weighting on certain types of sins that doesn't square up with the Scripture's call for the whole person. The calling wasn't for us to be easier on the sexual ethic, but consistency throughout everything in the Christian standards. The, the people that were sharing in that class of their struggles, they carried a guilt and shame that wasn't shared with those who were causing arguments in the church or those who were jealous. Those people didn't seem to feel too bad about what they were doing in the same way that the others were feeling. They didn't see that same call towards faithfulness. The call was that we need to take each part of the Christian call seriously. To put on Christ takes a whole assortment of new behaviors, the whole of the human experience. It's not just a title that we can pose with. It requires putting on a set of actions that accompanies it, that you are a new type of person in Christ, a person that, that has their loves placed in the right order, not getting sidetracked with whatever desires come our way. Now, something that big and challenging uh, could sound like a weight for us to bear, that this is, this is our burden so it's important to look at the language that Paul uses for encouragement. Notice where Paul goes to for a Christian solution here. Let's look in our passages. It is, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't contrast sexual immorality with then putting on something pure and just trying to reach within yourselves and act the right way. He doesn't say, for, for people to take on the new philosophy and to understand all the right rules and then you will begin behaving properly. He tells people to put on the person of Jesus Christ, to bring themselves into proximity with Jesus. In saying, clothe yourselves with Jesus, we see the answer comes from outside of ourselves. It comes from recognizing that it is an encounter with the living Christ that brings true transformation. You are not called into right theorizing or, or right ideas primarily, but you are called to bringing yourself into proximity with Christ. You're not called into instant change where you have this extraordinary shift from a, a hard life to one that's easy. Instead, it is the introduction to Jesus, the one who is life. So the, the application here is, if, if you struggle with sexuality, 
If you struggle with jealousy, if you struggle with alcohol, if you struggle with dissension, causing arguments, the invitation is to put on Jesus. Not that you will be immediately fixed, not that there still won't be a hard journey that is ahead for you. The invitation is to put ourselves before Christ and have that be the starting block. Place yourselves not before uh, your guilt and shame, not before your own strength that you can muster up, but before the one who has dealt with sin. Place, before, place yourself before the one whose love is meant to bring about transformation in the long and challenging journey of sanctification. This here is, is the gospel good news that Paul is talking about here, that he's established earlier on that we may put on Christ through what Jesus has done. We put on Christ, we clothe ourselves with Jesus, inviting Jesus to transform us through and through. Not, not just a cosmetic change, not just this outward appearance thing, but an encounter with Jesus is what's needed. That, that is something that will always change a person. And not does it, it doesn't always change people in the way that we expect um, it doesn't happen as quickly as maybe we want. If we recall from the earlier series where we looked at the image of putting on Jesus as clothing, this was something that we are called into daily, that this is part of a longer journey that we're called into. So I invite you into trying on this practice for the next week or so to start your mornings with a very intentional putting on of Christ, to, to thinking, what does it mean to draw yourselves close to Christ? Placing yourself before Jesus and taking a moment of silence to, silence to actually listen to what Jesus may have to say to you this morning. On to the, the second part here of love of neighbor, because this is where... Paul is also centering himself. Earlier in this passage, we read something on the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Um, in listing a few of them, he, he's bringing memory to all of them. He's, he's not just saying, like, here's, here's the essential few. He's trying to make us think of that, and if that wasn't completely clear, he adds that other line. And whatever command there may be, he's just saying all commandments, all of them are summed in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So, so all commands, the big ones and the small ones, are caught into this. That, that through love, we have the fulfillment of the law. The, the list of don'ts that we see in the law that sometimes we can fixate, fixate on actually point towards something else. This is, this is something that we see um, in the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, so for those of you who don't know what the Heidelberg Catechism is, uh, this was a document that was made 500 years ago. Uh, what was happening, this is in the beginning of the Reformation, and there were all sorts of splintering groups happening. And a, a prince of a region saw all these splintering groups, and he thought, we need to have a document that unites people. 
We need to have uh, the Lutherans and, and the, the Calvinists or the Reformed people and the Melanchthians, um, whatever groups there are, we need them to be united on something that is rooted in Scripture. So they commissioned this work, and this has been something that has distributed throughout the world over the last 500 years. And in the Heidelberg Catechism, when it reaches the teaching of God's grace, it turns to the Ten Commandments because it sees within the Ten Commandments a call towards love. There's a positive action behind each of the, the don'ts that we often see. Now, the same tone that the Heidelberg Catechism has is the one that Paul gives here. As it unpacks the Ten Commandments, it interprets each don't in light of the love that's transgressed when you do one of those things. To steal, to murder, to covet aren't just arbitrary rules. Those are failures in loving fully. Uh, Jesus teaches this himself. Uh, so if we look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 39, someone comes up to Jesus and he asks, what, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus comes back with two different answers. First, he says, love the Lord your God with your whole self. He's, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, the, the, the Shema, a very central teaching. But then he adds on to that to love your neighbor as yourself. Again, coming to an Old Testament passage of Leviticus 19, verse 18, where it teaches that love of neighbor as self. Now, what does this mean practically? How do we live into this kind of ethic? Well, let's just pick one of, of the commandments here, and, and for sake of time, I'll choose the, thou, you shall not covet, um, because this one's repeated later on in, in a different form, um, that form of jealousy. Uh, so if we're not familiar with the, the form of uh, to covet, there, there's a sense in which you're, you're jealous of what the other person has. Uh, so to covet can kind of be summed up this way. It, it is seeing something that someone else has, and rather than being able to appreciate it and take joy and delight in the good thing that that person has, to say, I want that thing for myself. It, it refuses to, to, in an act of love, take joy in what the other person has, and instead focuses inwardly on yourself. Now, where does jealousy often happen? Where does coveting happen? I find it happens in the places of greatest proximity for ourselves. Uh, so it's not really towards like these big and huge things that we can be desiring, but things that we are close to. Uh, an example here, um, I'm not really jealous of 16-year-old me's hair. Um, for one thing, it was a bad look. Uh, but for another thing, it's clearly unobtainable. Like, I'm, it's, it's not going to be able to grow again. But, for, or, or another example could be when I'm going and, and looking at maybe a celebrity's house, I'm not going to be jealous of how big and, and kind of opulent it is because that's nothing that, there's nothing in there that is close to what I need. Uh, but when I go into someone's house and I see a, a kitchen that kind of like makes sense in how it's ordered, then I could be a little bit jealous. 
And uh, I guess to get that one, you have to understand how like, nonsensical our kitchen is that we inherited. Like, not a month goes by where we're not thinking of, like, how can we move something around there? The, we, we get jealous of the things. Uh, we covet the things that are near to us. And I don't know where jealousy lives for you. Jealousy can happen anywhere where we see rivalry, whether it's in a position of leadership, a job promotion, a new home, an addition to the family, having the right brand of clothing, having better hair. It's things, these good things that can happen in other people's lives, and rather than being able to celebrate it, we try to want it for ourselves. In that way, jealousy and to covet is a failure to love. It's a failure to be able to accept the things and celebrate what that person has and stops us in our call of love for the other. And the Christian call, again, is not simply just to pose as Christian, but to wear Christ authentically. So I, I want to finish with this line, going back to, to verse 8 here, where being clothed with Christ is shown to abound in the sort of love that Jesus had, to dwell in the love of God and to reflect that back in the world. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continued debt to love one another, for whoever loves has fulfilled the law. In, in saying this, he's saying that the love that we owe one another extends forever. No Christian can point out and say, I have loved enough. There, there's no Christian retirement. There's no certain point where we can hang up the Christian call and say, I think I did it. Uh, my share has been paid. Now it's time for the others to come and bring their portion of love. Paul gives the language of love as something that we will always owe to our neighbor. The person in the pew next to you, the person down the street, the person across the country is your neighbor whom we owe our love. Now, how might this understanding challenge us in the midst of our understanding of the transition of rules, in the midst of COVID? How might we see opportunities of love surrounding the don'ts of our own day? Do we have a definition of love that is so deep that it covers the Ten Commandments and all other commandments we find in the Scriptures? And lastly, where do we go for that type of love? The answer, of course, as we've already directed, is in Christ. The call to clothe ourselves with Jesus, to spend time with Christ who shapes and convicts us, it is in placing ourselves before Jesus that we encounter the change that we seek, the one who truly loved us with a love that is deep and that still does love us. We believe in the ascended Jesus, the one who still loves us with a fierce love and calls us to bring this love into the rest of the world. So the call here is to dress appropriately, putting on Christ, not just as a way of posing, with the name of Christ, but one that involves this deep engagement and responding in love, and from that love to be able to bring our love to others. 
Uh, let's pray. Living God, uh, we thank you for the word that you bring us, uh, for the deep challenges that we find in here, the challenge in reordering our loves rightly so that we may navigate this world in goodness and faithfulness. As we seek to be people who clothe ourselves with Jesus, may we do so out of your strength. May we do so knowing that the resurrected Jesus is alive and still present with us today. That Jesus does not simply live within our hearts, but that he is seated on the throne. And from that place of power, he loves us with a deep and sure love. And as we place ourselves before Christ, may you transform us through and through, that we may grow into being more Christ-like as we continue in our journey. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.